Good afternoon and welcome to Losses Above Replacement, the greatest baseball podcast to grace your ears. I'm today's host, Matthias Saltman Kurosaki, and with me, as always, we have my amazing co-hosts, Alex Clark and Ryan Splash Potts. Gentlemen, we're doing this on a Monday afternoon. How are we doing today? Um, So, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Disney World or Universal or a theme park um, such as those. Uh, my sports life has been a roller coaster the last few days. Um, so we have some baseball news that made me very happy that we're going to get to. Then we have some baseball news that very made me very sad that we're going to get to. Um, the Cavs lost. The Ravens morally lost. Um, so bizarre week for me. Uh, but I guess positives that Braves baseball is back in like 150 days or something like that. Maybe it's actually shorter than that. Um, so yay question mark I, that's, that's about as good of a description as I can get is yay question mark but uh, no I'm doing alright it's really uh, icy here in the Pacific Northwest here I actually was going to go out and go grab some lunch today and then uh, started slipping and sliding just trying to walk outside and uh, decided to instead just stay home and make a sandwich but um, honestly it's been kind of a dead feel here itself for a little bit because there was one really big signing that we're actually not going to talk about it so i'll just bring it up very briefly here that the mariners made a trade to get colton wong from the brewers for jesse winker and abraham toro as well as also getting at 1.75 million so that's a huge move not enough really to talk about so i'll just say very yay good job way to optimize your roster but uh other than that no honestly doing pretty good over here just it's still dumbfounded that the Seahawks two weeks ago lost to the Raiders, and thankfully they beat the Rams. So, yay. Yeah, I'd say um, kind of like Splash, my sports week has also been kind of like a roller coaster. But, you know, I uh, the Steelers won, which is uh, something, you know, I, then again, I'm kind of tied up on if I actually want the Steelers to win uh, now or do I want a better draft pick. But, uh, the baseball side of things, it was definitely a bit of a roller coaster. But I also went to New Jersey, saw some of my old teammates, uh, saw my old coaches, so that was fun. I got to see see them race a little bit, uh, so I, it was it was good on that part. Uh, and then the events of these last few days have really thrown me for a loop, um, and we're going to get into that right now, which is the first one, which I I still can't really process that this happened, but. Jacob deGrom signed a five-year contract with the Texas Rangers worth $185 million with a full no-trade clause, an option for the sixth year. And when I when I saw this, I I was just kind of in disbelief. I had a feeling that you know there probably there was a chance that he left New York, but it was I was not expecting it to happen so fast. Uh guys, I want to get your thoughts on this first because I have a number of of opinions on on this whole ordeal what what do you guys think um so it is a little strange to me but i think uh the whole degrom leaving new york just ended up being more of a degrom decision than a uh, mets financial decision um i was in a, a twitter space with mets fans immediately afterwards and it was like it was you could it was tense that i'll say that it was tense there was the group of people that blamed uh, Cohen and management for not sending him $75 million a year. Um, there were people that blamed DeGrom and were 
like defacing the future Hall of Famer, which I don't agree with. Um, so I I saw a lot of that too. That was ugly in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it was <clears throat> quite bizarre on both sides. But um, as a Braves fan, very excited. I don't have to see Jacob Degrom, but maybe once a season now, um, with the new scheduling. Um, so there's that. But as a baseball fan. Texas is bizarre. I understand it from a money perspective. You know, this is the same team that opened up the checkbook for Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager, who uh, turned it on near the end of last season. And then you throw in Nathaniel Lau, who had a or low, who had a great season last year. And then um, if top prospect Josh Young pans out, then that might be the best one of the best infields in the American League, one of the best in baseball, um, depending on where these shortstops land. Um, outfield still needs work, but uh, Texas could be interesting. They might win 70 games this year, so congratulations. Um, I don't think they're threatening Seattle or the other Texas team, um, but it it just is going to feel weird seeing Jacob deGrom in a jersey other than the Metropolitans. Um, a lot of Mets fans were comparing him to Tom Seaver, and that comparison holds even more true now that he's not a Met. Of course, Seaver was mainly a Met, but went to the Reds, got traded to the Reds near the end of his career. Um, so parallels there. And I do think it's weird that Cohen let it happen, but I think it had ended up being more of a DeGrom decision than a <clears throat> Mets decision. Yeah, I'm ag- I agree with you. That I think this was very much DeGrom wanting out of there than really anything. Um, although I will say, unlike uh, Splash, who's happy that he is now out of the NL East, I am very sad that he is now in my N- my AL West playing for the Rangers. Though so I will say, overall, this move really kind of baffles me a bit. Like, I understand, you know, it's Jacob deGrom, and yes, Jacob deGrom is Jacob deGrom. But at the same time, I look at him, and I'm the ability is there. No doubt, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, legitimately, when healthy is probably the best pitcher in all of baseball. And I think right now, looking at there's one big question mark that's always there, and that's injury. Injury is always the thing that is always going to come up whenever DeGrom pitches or whenever DeGrom goes anywhere. I mean, even last season, he only played in 11 games for them. Yes, be it in those 11 games with 3.08 ERA in 2021, only 15 games, but had that one, 0.08 0.08 ERA. It's very much like this golden treasure. This one that it's very much an Indiana Jones trap. I think for Jacob Degrom, he is. It is so tempting. It is so valuable right there. But you know the risk. You know what you're getting into. You know there are. Tr- it is laced with deadly traps everywhere that can completely screw you up in one go. And for the Rangers right now, the reason why this is even more baffling, they have a lot of other needs. I know that that it's kind of become the norm for them to just kind of whip out the checkbook and be makeshift Dodgers. But at the same time, they still have a lot of other holes to fill. Like, yes, they have had a few real emerging stars. Again, Nathaniel Lau is, is pretty darn good. Adolis Garcia, I've always, I've been a, a pretty big fan of Adolis for a bit now, but they still have so many other positions they need to fill, including a full, uh, still a full list of starting pitchers, including Dane Dunning is still one of their starters. And then on top of it, their relief court also needs a complete overhaul. The, I mean, I can't even name too many other relievers. Like LeClerc is the the first one that comes to my mind. But right now, this is just one of those moves where it feels like 
they're trying to get the pieces in store to then build around later. But we said the same thing last year with them going out and signing all these players like Simeon and Seager and John Gray. And yet, like, it just feels like they're trying to just play like MLB the show where they just sign the big free agent and work from there. And with a starting pitcher, yes, it's great to have a starting pitcher. You need a good starting uh, pitching core, but you need more pieces around them. So right now, this is a move that definitely is very high risk, very high reward. But it feels like it's they're still not set up enough to do anything in an AL West division that is already so stacked. I mean, right now we have the Astros who just signed again uh, Jose Abreu and got an upgrade there, even though they did just lose the player that we're going to talk about next on this segment. Um the Mariners right now are only making moves that's really making them better at the moment. And then the Angels are also making a lot of interesting moves. And the Athletics are the Athletics. So this division is already super strong. So you've got to have a lot. There's a, You've got to have more than this. And going for DeGrom, yes, it's a cool move. And yes, it could work out exceptionally well for them. But I feel like there's so many other needs if you really want to be competitive in this division. Yeah, well... My thing here is, obviously, it, it hurts to see DeGrom go. You know, it, he was someone for a while, a lot of us thought, you know, he'd be a Met for life. But it was clear over the last year that they sort of were growing apart. He was very quick to opt out. Uh, and he was going to make $32.5 million each of the next two years if he had opted in. You know, he, he barely pitched the last two years while he's, fantastic when he's healthy he was so good in 2021 when he was healthy at 1.08 era this year he was great in august a 1.98 era in 36 in the third innings in august he was pretty pedestrian in the second half of the year though you know only uh, not the second half of the year in september only a 4.50 era in september in 28 innings and he allowed six home runs that month that was very uncharacteristic in my opinion and he did rebound uh decently in the playoffs with six innings of two-run ball and getting the win but he is going to be 35 in june and you're giving him a five-year contract you know i think that the aav 37 million is reasonable i think a lot of people expected him to get upwards of 40 million and you know the other thing i'm going to put out there is that Mets fans I, I I'm very disappointed in the reaction I'm getting here which is that that they're actively going to root against him they're going to boo him when he comes back to City Field that is absolutely ridiculous when you think of what he did for this franchise he basically made them they he was like the only thing watchable for a little bit with this team 2017 2018 2017 after he struggled and got beat up he came when he came back and was on fire the rest of the year like I, it felt like only like I only felt like watching games when DeGrom started. 2018, they were awful again. They were under 500. He won the Cy Young. He won the Cy Young the next year. We saw how good he was in 2020 in the shortened season. He was ama- having a historic year in 2021. And all of a sudden, it seems like all that's gone out the window because he never won a World Series. Here. Whatever. I, I, I just I can't believe that people are actually that ungrateful. Uh, you know, we're, it's he doesn't owe you anything, really. But. I, I, the Rangers side of this, I, they, they have way too many holes on their roster to contend with them. They only won 68 games last year. And I get, maybe you get a full season of Josh Young. You know, you expect Simeon to get better and Seager to get better, but 
their rotation, if I'm not mistaken right now, is DeGrom, Martin Perez, and John Gray. All right, good. You have three starters. I couldn't even tell you who their fourth and fifth starters are because it's just – it's like a black hole at the end of their rotation. And they're both – Dane Dunning. I, can... I made the reference to Dane Dunning. <laughs> yeah, Dane, Dane Dunning. All right. But he's not like – in my opinion, when I think of like – he. He's like borderline making the rotation of most contenders, in my opinion. That's that's the point I'm trying to make here. So you got all right. You, so you have those guys. That is middle of the pack, in my opinion. I don't expect Martin Perez to be as good as he was last year either. I really I expect him to regress. Then you, you just look. There's too many holes on this roster. The bullpen. I can name. I know Joe Barlow was a solid closer. Uh, Jose Leclerc has good stuff, but he's coming off an injury. Uh, and Brett Martin, he's solid. Uh, that bullpen is very much a work in progress. So the Rangers, I'm sure, will improve a little bit, but getting Jacob DeGrom doesn't do nearly enough. In my opinion, I, I understand that DeGrom wanted to go to Texas. Why didn't he pick the Astros is my question. Like, the Astros are the reigning World Series champions, and you picked, don't speak that evil into this podcast, Mac. Don't you did, dare he speak didn't that pick, evil into this podcast. He didn't even pick the right Texas team if he wanted to win. That's I'll put no, it that I, way. I, he picked the exact right Texas team because putting him on the Astros would basically make me completely depressed. And I do not want to see that. Well, Mac, do you want to see me depressed? Uh, No, but at the same time, Jacob DeGrom is not a Met. So I'm kind of there right now. But anyway, actually, though, uh, because we're going we're gonna to talk about how, you know, initially coming into the show, I was thinking we were going to be talking about how, how the Mets could replace Jacob DeGrom. And about, I don't know, two, three hours ago, we found out that the Mets are signing Justin Verlander to a two-year deal worth $86 million with a vesting option for a third year. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I, I could talk about this all day, uh, why I like this contract so much. I had a feeling it was between Verlander and Carlos Rodon for who was going to replace DeGrom, but I did not expect things to come together so quickly. Uh, guys, what are your what are your thoughts on this deal? Um, so, of course, JV is the reigning American League Cy Young, 175 ERA. Um, there are some questions you can ask. He's about to turn 40. He missed the entire 2021 season with Tommy John. Um He's about to be 40. Let me uh, say that again. I'm, um, I'm aware. He, yes. Yeah. Um, do I need to say that he's, or it's like my Gundy. I'm a man. I'm almost 40. Um, so I think the Mets are in this situation that your roster in general is meant to contend. Lindor, Alonzo, Scherzer, like, at least with Scherzer and Lindor, they're locked up on long-term deals or uh, locked up with big money deals. Rather Lindor long-term Scherzer only has a couple more years left with his age as well. So you're in a contending window and you kind of have to keep up with the Joneses that Atlanta just re-signs all their dudes and they're probably going to win 90 games again. Philadelphia, we'll get to what Philadelphia did today, but they're not going anywhere. They're probably going to get better moving forward with like a, a permanent manager and, um, Bryce Harper being able to play the field so you can get either Castellanos or Schwarber out of the field um, after like the middle of May. Um, so you have to keep up with the Joneses here. And I think the Mets are, the Mets took their shot at the, in, if you want to be technical, the best pitcher in 2020, 
2022 on the market and they go out and get Verlander, I think it's a, a solid move. Can it backfire? Absolutely. I saw a meme earlier that uh, it was Scherzer and uh, Scherzer and Verlander looking at each other with injured obliques in the middle of June. Could that happen? Yes. But at the same time, you have two of the most dominant pitchers of their generation, two no doubt first ballot Hall of Famers. And that's not going to be fun going up against, um, if in the Annalise case, a dozen times a year. Um, so it's a high risk, high reward move. You could get a Cy Young award winner. Like we've seen Verlander, his last two full seasons, won the Cy Young. Then guess what? Won the Cy Young again, whips under 0.9 both seasons. Um, but with there, there's an age risk. There's an injury risk with both Scherzer and Verlander. There is. And that's the big thing I think that comes out for this contract and why it's such a good thing that the Mets are only getting you for two years as opposed to anything longer than that. Because at going into age 40, that's normally like, I'm not going to say the kiss of death. That's usually like the milestone is that if you even just make it to 40 as a competent pitcher, then that is impressive. That's really good. You are potentially even probably a Hall of Fame candidate. But when it comes to Verlander, it's tricky. Because with him, he had he's had essentially two different career renaissance where he was absolutely incredible for a short like for a pretty good span of time, then fell off the face of the planet, becomes amazing again, then gets injured, and then becomes amazing again. And that's what's so interesting when it comes to Verlander is that is it are we gonna see another downturn or are we going to see just this this good level? Because I want to make sure I bring this up to you. I'm discounting the 2020 season because he was again, he got injured, got Tommy John, and then had to miss all of 2021. But remember, 2019 and 2022, the two full seasons that he got to play with the Houston Astros, he was like uh the he was a Cy Young Award winner and then in 2018 he was second in the Cy Young voting like this is a guy that right now over the last couple years has like over his last few full seasons has been the best pitcher in the American League like let me say that again at ages 36 37 and then 39 he was the best pitcher in baseball in the American League I say uh, 36 as well. Technically, he got second to Cy Young Award voting, but also had an incredible year. But this is a guy that right now, you're you're worried about that age because he's going into his age 40 season. But at the same time, is it worth worrying about? Like, really, is it worth it? Because we're seeing a guy that at the end of his career is still one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Do we need to, again, say that last season he had a 1.75 ERA in a division that included a bunch of top teams and in an American League where he was constantly going against players like Mike Trout or going up against Julio Rodriguez and still having this ERA of 1.75? I think right now this is an amazing move for the Mets. They are replacing someone that they knew they were going to have problems with if they if he did come back with someone that is still very much a risk, but that risk can pay off, and you have it on a shorter deal of only two years. Whereas you know with Degrom, it was going to take a lot more than that to get him. And I understand that like age is always going to be 
it, it's going to be a concern when you sign a guy like this. And I get he's going to be 40 next year, but you know, I, I wanted to look a little bit beyond that 1.75 ERA, which is phenomenal. It was the best in the majors. He won the Cy Young with ease. Uh, and I don't know, there were concerns coming into this year. You know, he only got a one-year deal from Houston worth $25 million, and He's coming off the Tommy John surgery. He's 39. Like, what, do, what are you going to get from him? And you get a third Cy Young Award and a World Series ring. And you look at it, and I understand his strikeout rate went down, but he has not lost the touch off his fastball, actually. In fact, his fastball, his average, his fastball averaged 95 miles per hour this year. And that's actually higher than what it was in 2019 when he struck out 300 batters. He averaged 94.6 that year. Plus, his fastball had the best run value of any fastball in baseball with negative 24. So that's an elite pitch. He's an elite slider, an elite curveball. Pretty good changeup, too. He's a great four-pitch arsenal already. And you get to pair him with his old rotation mate, Max Scherzer. And to stand they're both late 30s now, I guess, going to be early 40s. But I I like this contract, really. I wouldn't have given him more than two years. If we had, if say he had gotten this Scherzer contract, then I would have had a problem with it. But I like this two years, 86 million option has to vest for a third year so he has to perform a task obviously but this is a win now move and i know that the the mets were not willing to go more than three years in 120 for degrom that's what they're they offered him before he signed with texas i think this is this is fine you know i would rather have verlander on this contract than degrom on a five-year contract I, and I, I want to ask you guys this question. I mean, which of these deals do you prefer? I think there's risks to both of them, but there's also a, you can get a lot of value out of both. Um, I would think I would lean with DeGrom a little bit younger. I think all things equal, he's a better pitcher. Um, I know <clears throat> he, Verlander actually pitched a full season, unlike DeGrom, but um. I don't know if it's just years of scarring from DeGrom every fifth day Mets winning or or blowing it in some spectacular Mets only way um, versus watching Verlander in the American League. But um, I, I would take uh, DeGrom over five years rather than Verlander over two plus the vesting year. For me, I'm actually going to take Verlander on this. I think that's the better deal because with DeGrom – it's more money, it's more years, and when it's come to him, his injury concerns are, I think, honestly, are more meaningful than the age. Because when it comes to injury, not only are you having a guy that is that when he's healthy is fantastic, but when he's gone, he just becomes dead weight. And with Verlander, there isn't so much the concern with injury. Like, yes, he is coming off of Tommy John that he had in uh, twenty twenty, but he is also off of 2022 coming off of a season where he had an ERA of 1.75 and you only have him for two years. So the risk is a lot less. Plus you had to do something to get to work, but you had to do something in order to replace DeGrom. The Rangers are still trying to build. So I don't think it was the best move because they have so many other holes that need to be fixed. Whereas the Mets are much closer to contention right now than the Rangers are. And by getting a guy that you only have to sign for two years, 
instead of, you know, four, five, six, seven years. And you're, yes, you're paying him an absolute poop load of money, but for a win now guy, a, a man that, again, the best pitcher in baseball, the last two full seasons that he pitched, I, I can't really argue with that. Yeah, and that the contract length is my my the big reason why I'd rather have the Verlander contract because you know say say it doesn't work out well you're only on the hook for another year after next year and you know maybe then the option doesn't vest and he's off the team if with the Grom you know I should add that for Degrom he also has a full no trade clause uh, so you know with with Degrom if he's not if he's getting hurt. If, if he's, you know, if his numbers decline and all that, well, you're paying him for five years. And then worst case scenario, he takes that 60-year option and all of a sudden you have to pay 41-year-old DeGrom and who knows what that's going to look like. So I, that's my thing is I think DeGrom's trajectory, higher potential, I think, for uh, performance. But I also, I also think there's a lot of volatility there for how badly he can fall off. So that that's my take. I, I will add one more thing on this, which is that the Astros, I think, are going to be just fine. Uh, I, I know Alex is probably like doing a somersault right now or something, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the Astros can easily replace Verlander. That's the thing. They have so much depth that uh, they lose Verlander. They're just going to have Hunter Brown in the rotation all of next year or something. So uh, that that's that um, that that's all we're gonna say on uh, on Verl- Verlander. Let me just say I'm glad that these aren't video recorded. So I'm gonna say oh. I'm glad <laughs> these are not video recorded. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, another NL East related thing, and this I felt like some people saw this coming. Uh, the contract we were talking about contract length with these two, and this one sort of caught me off guard. The Phillies are signing Trey Turner to an 11-year contract worth $300 million, also a full no-trade clause for him. Splash, since you're the NL East guy, I want to hear from you on this because you've now seen the Mets and the Phillies both make their moves. I mean, what what's – like, I you, we got to bear in mind here that Bryce Harper is probably out until the All-Star break. What, what do we make it of here? Okay, so – Trey Turner is one of the guys that I wish just didn't play for the teams I dislike Nationals, Dodgers, now Phillies, because he's super exciting, a very good player. A he was a perfect fit for the Dodgers lineup just with the speed and the the bat to ball ability. With the Dodgers, he batted 307, um, 353 on base. Uh you know, didn't steal quite as many bases as he usually does the last two years, but he still stole 27. And even <clears throat> even in 2021, he stole a league leading 32 bases. He's a guy that's going to get close to 200 hits. He's going to bat 300, 310 around there. Um, I will say that he can be a liability in the field at times. Um, he did salvage his season last year, but for most of the season, he was one of the worst defenders in baseball, salvaged it and was around league average by outs above average, uh, negative one defensive run saved. So, you know, average to slightly below average defensive shortstop, probably fine at second. If you want to play him at second, <clears throat> don't play him in center field. I would not do that, but they do have Brandon Marsh moving forward. So it's just another exciting piece to the Phillies lineup and, um, I was thinking about this earlier that, you know, perhaps you can make the argument the Braves are a deeper team rotation wise, bullpen wise, 
uh, lineup wise, but this is just another, you know, superstar caliber player, another, <clears throat> another Philly that you could say top three at their position, potentially when you have Turner and Wheeler, not, not Wheeler, sorry, and Harper and Real Muto. And if you value home runs over everything else a batter does, you like Schwarber. Um, so just the rich get richer in a way. Um, the 11 year deal that can say, you can say alarm bells, alarm bells. He's going to turn 30 in June. Um, but you know, it's a lower AAV than what you'd expect. It's a lower AAV than what Lindor and what Tatis have gotten. You can argue Trey is a better player than Lindor, although Lindor is much better defensively. Um, so I think it'll age reasonably well considering you know how sports contracts inflate uh so around what 27 mil a year i don't think that's the end of the world for the phillies it's not you know it, if it becomes an albatross at least it's not as bad as it could be um so i think it's just smart business from the from the phillies you get your guy first so you're not in a bidding war with correa getting driven up or a Dansby driving up the market or a Bogarts driving up the market, you go get your guy. And I think this might end up being the cheapest or one of the cheaper shortstop deals, despite Turner being probably the best you could argue with Correa, but I would take him over Correa like ever so slightly. I mean, honestly, I have a much bigger feel for Trey Turner than basically any other shortstop on the market. To me, it's clear as day that he was the number one guy. Like, I understand that that's not how everyone feels. I just love his style of play. I think his style of play is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, watching him play baseball is electric. It builds other people up in a way that the stats don't really show. Whenever you watch Trey Turner get on base, other people get better. Whenever you watch him steal a base, he is already putting himself into scoring position to make everyone else's RBI's, uh, RBI numbers higher. Whenever he makes one of his dazzling slides, the team gets fired up. He is an amazing player. He's an amazing hitter, base runner. He really is one of those six-tool players in my field. He can hit. He can run. He can hit for power. He can field. He can do it all. And that's what I really like about it. And I say six tool instead of five tool because he has that ability in him where he makes other people around him better. That's all that you can't say about a lot of players, but with that electric style of play, that boosts up everyone else because everyone else gets amped up, gets ready to go. And looking at him, he had one of his, I'm not going to say one of like his greatest years, but definitely one of his best years um, with, again, being 11th in the MVP voting, an all-star, a silver slugger. On top of it, again, having a batting average of just shy of 300. And in 2021, sorry, 2021, even also had a batting average of 338 with the Dodgers, a total batting average still of 328. Like, that's still really damn good. And watching him play, he can play second base. He can play shortstop if you really need him to. He can play in the outfield. Don't play him in the outfield, but he can if you need him to. Like, and he's going to a team that right now really did need a little bit of infield help. They definitely also could have used a little bit of outfield, but they they they're making their pieces that ended definitely worked out well for them to manage the World Series last year. But this is a great example of a really good team getting even better with Trey Turner. He's a guy that's going to solidify being a number one in the in the lineup, or even a number three if you really want to. He can fit in to basically anywhere in the top three spots of a lineup. 
and you know on that Phillies on that Phillies uh, lineup, he's going to fit in one of those three places. So right now, I think this is honestly a really good move. This is gonna get this is gonna take it till he's age forty if he goes to the full end of this deal. That is huge for Philadelphia. And I still can't help but feel bad for, you know, Nationals fans seeing this because this is still the guy that they have loved for years. He played so many years with the Nationals, gets traded and watches him dominate with the Dodgers and now is getting this huge mega deal with um, with another team that's not too far away from them. So, you know. Still feel bad for the Nationals fans, but for Turner and for the Phillies, this is absolutely exactly what you wanted. Yeah, and, you know, I remember at first when Bryce Harper signed his contract, 13-year contract worth $330 million. I wasn't a big fan of it at first because I'd never seen, you know, the only other guy we'd seen get a 13-year contract was Giancarlo Stanton, and that contract, unfortunately, has not aged too well, but I like this contract, not necessarily for the length. I don't love the idea of giving a guy an 11-year deal, but it's a considering they got him at under $30 million annually, I was fully expecting him to get the largest contract of the shortstops on the market. I, I think this is good for, for the Phillies. You know, I understand Harper is going to be out for a good bit of next year, so it'll probably be, you know, Turner batting – first or second, depending on what they do with Schwarber. Uh, and then, you know, you have Hoskins sitting behind him. This, so when when Harper comes back, this lineup is much more formidable. Obviously, you, you have Real Mito still. You expect Hoskins maybe to bounce back a little bit. They won't have they, – they won't have Segura anymore, but they've replaced Segura with Turner, who I think is much better, obviously. They still have holes on their roster, but – you know, this is a team that went out. They won the pennant kind of by surprise last uh, this past year, and they're they're trying to get better. I think the NL East is going to be wild. Uh, what I what I'm wondering here is actually is what whether the Phillies will have Turner play shortstop, or are they going to have him play second and have Bryson stop play shortstop? I think defense is still the big question I have about these guys. You know, Bohm is a below average defender, as is Hoskins. And Stott's not necessarily a gold glover, and Turner's kind of average. But, you know, you see the pieces there. And I think that the Phillies will once again be a playoff team. Do I think they're Yep. No, one thing I want to say before we move on too much farther with this, I said this to both of you guys just now, but anyone listening here, go and – Bryson Stott has a Twitter account. Go take a look at what he just posted about our – before this recording of him becoming the next Picasso as he took a picture, (laughs) a picture of him and Trey Turner when Trey Turner is still with the Dodgers and drew a, and like hand drew a Phillies Jersey over him. And it is one of my now new favorite things. Go give Bryson Stott a follow at Bryson underscore Stott 10. I needed to bring that up. That was so good. That was, (laughs) oh man. The uh, artistic abilities there are off the charts. Oh, it's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> yes. No, it's just the I, amount I, of talent I, that we see in this picture is truly one of the greats. We have Picasso. We have Michelangelo. Now we have Bryson Stott with MS Bryson Kate. Stott. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, 
that's yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. We we're just talking about Brayson Scott, but uh, yeah, no, so I, I think the the Phillies have definitely they've made their move. I think they've really set the tone now for the rest of the shortstop market. Although I still think now nah, I feel like Correa might get more money. Uh, Bogarts will probably still get paid handsomely as will Swanson. So the shortstop market is all set. So that that's what's going on there. Uh, the last topic we're going to discuss before we get to our weekly trivia segment is the hall of fame. Uh, the contemporary ba- uh, ballot committee has voted and Fred McGriff is the only new honoree for the baseball hall of fame. He had an excellent career, hit 493 homers. So congratulations to the crime dog. But it also means that we will not have Bonds or Clemens or Palmero or Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame again. Uh, guys, what what are your reactions to the, the results here? Um, when I saw the initial list of eight, so eight players on the ballot, um, 16 members on the committee, uh, you vote for three players. You need 12 votes, 75% to make the ballot. Um, I believe McGriff was unanimous. I have not seen a verified source tweet that, but that's what I've heard. He was unanimous. Um, The likes of Bonds and Clemens didn't even receive a quarter of the vote. Um, So it, it does bum me out as a baseball fan because, frankly, the contemporary ballot looks a lot better than the main ballot. And we'll talk about the main ballot more as we inch closer to that announcement in January, but like you can make a solid argument that all eight guys on the contemporary ballot deserve to be in the hall of fame. Um, You have um, guys like Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, uh, Clemens, Bonds, Schilling. um, Like we've mentioned, Palmero, 3000 hits, 500 home runs. Albert Bell is the only player to have a 50 home run, 50 double season, which is mind boggling. <clears throat> but I, th- I think you look at it and I think the committee got it right, given the number of votes they had. Um, if you had to choose one, I think McGriff is the right one because I, I don't think it's right to have Bonds or Clemens, not both. That's a little weird, but I think Crime Dog is 100% deserving, you know, fell just short of those automatic milestones, 2,500 hits, 500 home runs, was 10 hits short, seven home runs short, same number of home runs as Lou Gehrig. And then you throw in, he gets better in the playoffs. He helped the Braves win a World Series in 1995. Just a just an excellent hitter when it mattered. Had four different, sorry, five different playoff series with an OPS above 1,000. Career 917 OPS in the playoffs, 10 home runs, uh, 57 hits. Career eight or nine eighty nine OPS in the World Series, so we got better as the playoffs progressed. Um, just a just a stellar player um, and a good community guy. A very very popular with the fans at all of his stops. Um, he's you know a Braves legend. He played five years in Atlanta. Um, you know, had some really nice years with Toronto. Um, had is was perhaps the first devil rays legend um had some nice years with san diego had a couple years with chicago near the end of his career but you know just a player that could flat out hit one career 130 134 ops plus mvp votes was top 10 in 89 90 91 92 was fourth in 93 94 uh was 20th in 95 just a great hitter 
and I think he's definitely a Hall of Fame caliber player. Yeah, I'm 100 percent on the train with Fred McGriff getting in. I think you can't you can't say he's not. I mean, looking at his accolades, he is absolutely an amazing player. 52.6 baseball reference war with him and just shy of 500 home runs at a batting career batting average of 284. He's a guy that truly does deserve it. And the fact that he didn't get in on the main ballot's a little bit sad. I understand the end of his career wasn't necessarily the best, but he still wasn't bad. I mean, even taking away his age 40 season, every other, uh, almost every other season, all the way between 2000 and 2003, he still had a very high batting average, which is for a guy that a lot of people considered as just almost a true power hitter. That's impressive. Very, very impressive. In fact, I, I think there's, there's no reason why he should have made it on the main ballot, but I get it at least on this ballot he's making it and he's getting exactly what he deserves. I'm fully on the boat though. And I know we've talked about this a billion times, but I'm fully okay. That guys like Clemens and bonds and Palmero do not get in according to a Yahoo sports article that I saw, which again, get, take that, what it, what you will from it. Um, all of the guys that were linked in the baseball's, uh, steroid era, um, received fewer than four votes from the 16 member committee, which the committee is made out of former legendary players, some uh, owner owners and some members of the media that make up the special subcommittee. But each one of them, uh, in order to make this, you have to get 75% of the vote, like you said, and it was not close for any of them, which makes me start to feel like that the players, the people in this committee hold the same kind of view that I do, that if you, she needed to cheat in order to win. Yes, I agree that it doesn't, that steroids should be legal in the game. I feel like if you want to give yourself that edge and it is a healing agent to make you better at that point, then that's fine. But they did this knowing what the rule was. And I think that's what they're mostly looking at here. They still did this knowing that it was a, it was against the rules at the time. So with that being said, though, I, it is a little bit weird uh, to see as well because guys got really close according to this article as well don mattingly had eight votes kurt schilling had seven and dale murphy had six because you needed to get 12 votes in order to make in and mcgriff according to this article as well was voted in by all 16 members and this was his final year of uh bbwaa eligibility it's like, no, sorry, in his final year of eligibility, excuse me, he had just shy of 40% of the vote in 2019. So seeing him get in now, it's good to see that the players and the owners have his back. I think, I think McGriff was, was, I mean, part of the reason why he didn't get in, I feel like he was just very, or he didn't get in for a while, was that he was underrated. And I, you know, it's crazy because he never hit 40 homers in a season, but he only hit in, in full seasons. He only hit fewer than 20 home runs once. That was in 1998 with Tampa Bay. I'm not going to count 2003 where he only played 86 games or 2004 where he only played 27 or his qu quick cup of coffee in 1986 where he only played in three games. So he was consistently just a great power hitter. Hit over 30 homers uh, every year from 1988 to 1994. Uh, he also he even hit 30 homers in his age 38 season in 2002. So he was just consistently very productive. You know, he, he wasn't he didn't need to be a gold glove defender when you hit that well. I feel like that's kind of a given. 
your offense makes up for your defense. So he was just consistently really good. It's crazy because he only made five all-star teams. Again, speaking to how underrated he was, you have to you look at who he had to contend with, guys like Mark McGuire, Palmero, you know, at, at the first base position. It was kind of tough, but I think he was fantastic. I feel like he didn't get enough love uh, when he was on the actual ballot, and he's finally getting his justice. But my, am I, Alex, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you about your point with the steroid players, and that's because when you, when you look back at it, and not to God, God rest his soul, because he just passed away. But Gaylord Perry is an admitted cheater. You know, he, he again, he was a pitcher, but he, you know, he would manipulate the baseballs. He was a spitballer. He admitted to doing all these things that were outlawed, and he's in the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz, who I I love Big Poppy too. I'm 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 a huge Big Poppy fan. I think he's a very very funny. He's great with the media. He was a great hitter. He also is admitted to taking steroids. Pudge Rodriguez is in the Hall of Fame. He's taking steroids. Jeff Bagwell, all these guys who've admitted to cheating or have been at least linked to steroids or something like that are in the Hall of Fame. But why aren't Bonds and Clemens in the Hall of Fame? Okay, and, I can actually answer that question for you. Yeah, okay. I can answer sure. that one a little bit. So, Perry, I agree with you. Surprisingly, I agree with you. I don't think he should because of his cheating and how we never, like how he stuck by it. The difference between that and Bagwell and especially Ortiz was that they owned up to it and they apologized and made up for it. And that's what was interesting. When it came to Ortiz, especially, he was like for one, it was a one time thing that he was found on. It was only yeah, once. He failed, he failed a drug test in like 03, I think. Yes. Yeah. And after that, immediately denounced it and went fully clean for the rest of his career and still produced at an extremely high level, including, I think we all remember his final season where he just absolutely dominated. And some people would like to say, oh, he was back on the juice again. But again, nothing was proven on that. And so unless there is proof, I'm not going to say anything on it. But um, that's the difference when it came to this. And remember, these people are humans. We're not just looking at numbers. We're looking at people that have gone and worked with the game, that have played the game. And when it came to guys, you know, like Bonds and Palmero, they actively fought it. They actively lied about it. And then by the end of it, they admitted they did it, but they said, no, nah, I'd still do it. Whereas Bonds and Bagwell were at least like, okay, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm owning up to it. Now let's do this right. And that's where the real difference comes into me. So I, mean, I do. Yeah, go ahead, Splash. So I kind of want to interject here. Um, it It's almost a, a double a double whammy for the guys that played in the steroid era that were clean um, because you look at their stats and it's, you know, not quite what Barry Bonds put up or Roger Clemens put up. And um, for example, Fred McGriff um, before yesterday was the only player with 475 or more home runs that was not either in the hall of fame active or uh, directly connected to steroids. So, a-Rod, Bonds, Sosa, Maguire, Palmero, Manny Ramirez, Sheffield, etc. And that, you know, oh, you only hit 493 home runs when Sheffield had over 500, Ramirez had over 550, Palmero had over 550, Maguire was close to 600, Sosa and A-Rod were over 600, Bonds set the home run record. You kind of get looked at in this weird way. You don't get a, a bonus, if you will, for playing clean, so... Um, that kind of bogs down, it can bog down 
statistically, and you have to think how many pitchers uh, were Fred was Fred McGriff playing against that were juicing, right? So um, credit where credit's due for the committee to pick McGriff there and say, hey, you know, he had a great career, um, and he was competing against guys that were linked to steroids at the very least or on steroids. Um, I tend to lean with the the foolish baseball method of having a steroid tax. Um, and if you take out 20% or 30% of a player's production and they're still a Hall of Famer, like if you're A-Rod, Bonds, Clemens, you're an inner circle, no doubt Hall of Famer, uh, you're, I think you should be in the Hall of Fame, but like a McGuire, a Sosa, a Sheffield, um, <clears throat> Manny Ramirez even, if you take 20% of their stats away and you're saying, oh, well, instead of 500 home runs, it's, you know, 370, right? Or 400 home runs. At, that's a, a less impressive resume. If the only thing you can do is hit. And, um, you know, I, I've gone back and forth with it, but I'm glad McGriff got in. And like I said, if you could only choose one, I'm glad it was McGriff because I don't think there's zero point to picking Clemens or Bonds. They should either go in together or not at all. So real quick, I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree with the idea of the tax, but we also don't have a whole lot of time left on the podcast. That'll be safe for another time. But um, I personally am very, very against that idea for a number of reasons. Anyway. Yeah. And, and I, I sort of agree with your last point though, Splash, that like, you know, you, you can't just pick Bonds or Clemens because that makes no sense. That That's my whole thing with some of the voters who are like, oh, we'll vote for Bonds and Clemens, but I won't vote for Manny and A-Rod and Sheffield. And it's like, all right, well, I feel like if you let a couple of them in, then you might as well might as well let them all in, uh, which is that's a uh, fair point. kind of my old Yeah, that, that's that's the other thing. And bear in mind that Bud Selig is also in the Hall of Fame now, uh, which is kind of messes everything up, in my opinion. But uh, I, I can talk about the steroids thing until I'm blue in the face. The one last thing I will say on this is that now that McGriff is in the Hall of Fame, and I'm very happy that he's in because I think he he should have gotten more recognition than he did previously. And I'm happy all 16 members voted for him. Maybe a guy like Carlos Delgado, if he ever gets back on uh, you know the contemporary era ballot, maybe a guy like him who had 473 homers and fell off the ballot immediately. Maybe Carlos Delgado has a chance if he if he gets back on that ballot because he also played in that era, and I feel like he you know he he his career ended prematurely because he got injured in 2009 if he stayed healthy he probably gets to 500 homers i feel like now that mcgriff is in it gives delgado a better chance splash you look like you want to say something yes uh voters if um carlos delgado is on the ballot please uh refer to mlb power pros 2008 and your decision will be made for you. He is actually Jesus in the game. He is as good as Albert Pujols. He is oh, as yes. good as he is as good as Jim Tomey. He is as good as Ryan Howard. Just play five games with him. He is a Hall of Famer, um, at least in MLB Power Pros world. Yeah, and Delgado, obviously, because I was a Mets fan growing up, you know, he he was my favorite first baseman. He's probably still one of my favorite first basemen ever. Uh, just because I loved watching him play. I loved him as a person too. Uh, and my some of my favorite memories were watching Carlos Delgado hit home runs uh when I was when I was a child. But anyway, I've done enough talking today. Uh we have our trivia segment, uh, and I will hand it over to our trivia master, Alex. Take it away. All right, boys. So 
the main three people that we talked about today here for today's trivia segment, our main three signings were Verlander, DeGrom, and Turner. And now, what do all three of these guys have in common? All three of them are na- have nasty slides, whether it's a pitcher throwing a slider or uh, Trey Turner having some of the most clean slides that you will ever see. So where do you see a slide very the most often? And that is when you are stealing a base. So here's what I want you guys to today, gentlemen. There have been 25 players in the 2022 season that have gotten at least 20 stolen bases. And you guys are going to take turns one by one to you guys are going to take turns one by one to name all of them with uh, the first one to three strikes loses. And if you make it through all 25, the person who has the most strikes will be the loser. And if you somehow go through all 25 and have the exact same amount of strikes, I do have a bonus question for you. So, Mac, the last time you went first, I believe you were victorious. Am I right on that? Or was it Splash? That was, yep, it was Mac that was victorious. So, this time I'm going to let Splash, I'm going to let you call the coin flip. I have a patented Seattle Sea Dragons magnets that I will be flipping here for the XFL. Go support the Seattle Sea Dragons. And I will let you call heads or tails to decide if you want to go first or second. Okay, uh, I'll call tails so you can flip the coin. I thought we tied. No, you. Uh, one of you had one strike, remember? Splash you had one won. strike at the very end. Oh, Splash, Splash yeah, won, you won. I forgot. I went I went first, though. Oh, so. I see. Yeah, yeah. So, Splash, okay. you won because okay. Mac had one strike. Okay. Yeah. Made it through the very end. <laughs> I was very confused. It's like, hmm. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's been a week. I can't expect yeah. to remember anything that happens in a week. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, don't remember, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I do remember that I called Tails. Tails. All right, here we go. Flipping the coin. It's heads. So, Mac, you get to choose again. Would you like to go first or second? I'm actually going to defer this time. I'm going to go second. All right. So, Splash, your task, should you be forced to accept it, is to name a player with at least 20 stolen bases. There are 25 players in Major League Baseball. Go ahead and give me your I, first wait, one. Wait, cl- clarifying question again. You yes. said it's 20, 25 steals. No, 20 like, steals. 20 Two steals, zero. I mean, in, like, from the regular season. Just 2022. Just 2022. Okay. I, I was just making sure I'd heard that right. Yep, no, All right. Sounds no, good. you're good. No, I, I appreciate the clarification. Yeah, 2022 regular season, at least 20 stolen bases. Okay. Uh, 25 one, names. Uh, one nice thing is I know a Brave did this. Uh, Michael Harris. Michael Harris had exactly 20 saves. It's actually the last on this list. So good on you for getting that one. All right, Mac, your turn. Julio Rodriguez. Julio! Definitely got that. He was uh, tied for ninth with 25. Um, I will go with one, Ronald Acuna, Venezuelan baseball champion, junior. Ooh, Ronald Acuna. That, why are you... Why do we even care about this? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean that in the way of, like, uh, there's no suspense at this port, beginning point because, yeah, he had 29 steals, so... <laughs> All righty, I will go with John Birdie. 
John Birdie leads the list with 41 Boy, steals. I, I can not wait until that guy's out of the NL East. Boy, he's a <laughs> pain. He is every a, word out of my mouth, sir, Mac. He is a very speedy boy. All right. Splash, it's now to you. Uh, I will go with uh, the Jason Kendall impersonator. That is JT Real Muto. JT Real Muto. Wait a second. I'm pretty sure he's on this. My mate, I remember seeing his name. Yep, there he is, right there with 21 steals. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to the man we were talking about, uh, Trey Turner. Trey Turner definitely is on this list. 27 steals for the newest Philadelphia Philly. Um, I will go with another man that haunts my dreams. That is one Devil Magic, Tommy Edmond. Yeah, Tommy Edmond's on this list. One of the few with over 30 on the list has 32. All right. Wow. This is a... Uh... Kind of tough, I won't lie. I'm, I'm because I feel like steals are such a they're, they're not a hot commodity like they used to be. Uh, so I'm trying to think, uh, who runs fast and steals bases? Uh, I'm not sure if he actually stole 20, so I might be wrong here. Dalton Varsho, Dalton Varsho, let me double check. I feel like I feel like he may have been way short. I just yeah, that <laughs> no. Dalton Varsho does not look like he made the list. Let me see how many that he did have. I think it's just that he runs really fast. <laughs> he, he is fast. He's a catcher and an uh, an outfielder. outfielder. So for Dalton Varsho, stolen base wise, he had sixteen. So yeah, that's uh, the first strike for Mac. All right, Splash, a chance to take a big lead here. What are we thinking? All right, uh, former 30-30 member, Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins is number three on this list with 34 stolen bases. Okay. Uh, i trying to remember because some guys got hurt too. Uh, I think I'm going to go with a former stolen base champion. I don't know if he stole 20 this year. Uh, Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield. Let's take a look into the list, and it does not look like he did. Man. Let me make sure. He's just not on my immediate list. Yeah, Whit Merrifield here, as I take a look at his baseball reference page. Yep, only 16 steals, so already two strikes for Mac. Man, I'm struggling. You are struggling. Right now, you are down to your last life here now as we are back to one Mr. Splash Man. All right. Uh, I would like to go with the best rookie in the American League. Definitely tongue-in-cheek. That is one, Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt is on this list. Number six here, the only rookie to get over 30, to get 30 or more steals. But I'm giving you a strike because you said that. So you're now down to two lives. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Kidding. Kidding. Uh, Man, uh... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if he because I, I have a guy in my head again who stole 20 bases last year I know 2021 I don't know if he stole 20 bases again this year that's the problem uh, oh, man it, if only I kept track of steals more this year uh, oh man uh, 
this is this has become way more difficult than I thought. Uh, trying to think of what team stole a lot of bases, also. Oh, uh, wow! I'm I I am completely lost right now. I will I will not lie there. Mm. Um, you no, know I'll uh take a shot here. I don't I don't know if he was. Wait, no. Um, yeah, you know what? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Shohei Otani. No, he stole 26. Show me Shohei, and I do not believe he is on this. Wow, game. I did so badly today. What? Yeah, you kind of did there, bud. Um, so what, what, getting up his official did he page here, he hit 11. <laughs> what? He, he stole 26 the year before. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, but he had 11 this year. All right, Splash, for the dominating win, can you get one right here? There's still a ton of options. Uh, we're going to go with Babe Ruth himself, Randy Arozarena. Randy Arozarena is fourth on this list with 32. What? I didn't realize he was that fast. Okay. He's a speedy boy. Congratulations, Splash, two in a row. For Mr. Wow. Splash, that was Man. like my worst performance ever. Uh, would you Would you like to know the full list? Okay, I think I can name a couple more. Okay, uh, go for it. Oh. Okay, um, Mateo, Jorge Mateo. Uh, Jorge Mateo is number two on the list. On the I list, thirty five. He was the biggest name that you guys missed. Uh, Kyle Tucker. Uh, Kyle Tucker is on so. the list as well, yeah. and uh, tied for ninth of twenty five. Uh, I think there was an Astro man. Jose Ramirez, J Ram, uh, just barely makes the list at twenty. And his teammate Andres Jimenez, Andres Jimenez uh, also tied with him exactly at twenty. What about Miles Straw? Miles Straw had twenty one. Okay. Uh, Jose Siri, Jose Siri would have been your first strike. Darn. He did not have 20, uh, 20 or more steals. Darn. Uh, All right. So you want to keep going? Key Brian Hayes. Key Brian Hayes. I believe I saw his name when I was doing this. Uh, yes. And that he had 20 steals. Nice. Um, I think Semyon got to 20. Marcus Semyon. Let's see here. I believe he did. Uh, do, do, do. <clears throat> he did not. It looks like. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, All right. Yeah. So I'm just taking a look at the. Yeah, Jose Siri, by the way, had 14 steals. Bummer. And I'm looking here now for um. Um. Oh, I just lost his name. The one you Sammy. just said. Yeah, Sammy. Yes, I do not say his name. Actually, even on the list of hmm. even top 50. That's weird. Okay. All right, so the main ones that were missed here, uh, let's take a look. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, Simeon is on the list. Oh, hey, I, I, okay, there we go. Okay. 20, he had 25. I'm he done. was on my fantasy team. I know he, he sucked for like the entire year, but he kept getting me steals. Okay, that's fine. Stephen Kwan? Right. Stephen Kwan uh, was not on the list. He had 19. Right. Oh. Okay. I'm All done. right, so the rest of the list here, we had Nico Horner with 20. We had Dylan Moore with 21, so another Mariner. Then uh, Thiara Estrada had 21 as well. 
uh, with the Giants. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, IKF, had 22 steals. Jake McCarthy with the Arizona Diamondbacks had 23. Josh Rojas, as well with the Diamondbacks, had 23. Adolis Garcia had 25 steals. And I believe that's all that was missed after you went on your little tirade there. Uh, I, I just, oh, man, I feel like that's like one of those statistics where I like, I should probably keep better track of, but I just like didn't. That's uh, what I understand. Yeah. yeah. There were a couple um, that I only got because I played fantasy baseball really competitively and I needed guys that got a lot of steals because that was like one of the, one of the categories they didn't really use in my Yahoo league. So like John Birdie, um, a Semyon, all the, all the guardians. You're welcome. Yeah. Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, Real Muto. Cause because Alex and I had a stream and we were talking about uh, base stealing catchers for some reason. And <laughs> Real Muto had a crazy number of steals. Also, our Lord and Savior, Key Brian Hayes. Over 20. Yeah. Um, I do have a, I did have a little bit of a bonus question. Just in case you guys did tie it, you guys at least want to hear it and see if you can get it. Yes. Sure. All right. Which one of these, and I don't I don't know if this is baseball reference or fangrass. It just on ESPN.com just has war. But of the players that had 20 or more steals, who had the least war? Oh. Miles Straw. Ooh, Incorrect. I, Miles I, Straw had 2.7 war. Huh? He's good defend he's good defensively. Oh. He plays center and he steals base. Well, I guess all of these guys steal bases. Um I, is it one of the Diamondbacks guys? Is not. Okay. And again, I, like I said, this is ESPN, so it's not like it's not baseball reference nor fan graphs war. Is it Bobby Witt? Yeah. It I'm is Bobby, Bobby Witt. Witt. Yeah. Point nine war. He was so bad defensively. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, he, he was I just saw I saw someone tweet that he was gonna join the 2020-20 club of you know yeah, 20, 20, 20 homers, 20 steals, <laughs> no neg- negative 20 defensive oh, runs saved or something. Okay. Like uh well, actually I, I could probably fact check on the errors because he was horrendous in the field which was honestly alarming uh, do you guys I follow made... mlb errors and he plays third yes short, I do. so it like double whammy because it's not like he's playing shorts like that yeah he stole the 30 syndrome. bases Let's see negative 1.7 uh defensive war which i get again so he ended with negative 19 defensive runs saved and 16 errors oh. sorry 16 errors at short three at uh third Negative 19 DRS at short, negative four at third. So I guess collectively he had uh, he had 19 errors and negative 23 defensive runs saved, which is pretty the best amazing. Best rookie in the American League, apparently. Well, if, if you want, <laughs> uh, I, I remember when Ryan Braun played third base for the Brewers, and uh, he was comically Matt. bad. I remember Matt Kemp had a year that he was negative 41. Yeah. Well, I think he win the gold glove that year too. Uh, well, I know that Braun in uh, 07 when he won rookie of the year, he like he he led the NL in slugging percentage 634, but he only had a two war because uh he had ne- negative 32 defensive runs saved and 26 errors. Uh no. actually so. my favorite my favorite defensive one is uh it was one of the Yastrzemski years he had 10 war. And one of the Sheffield years, he had five war, but they had the exact same offensive war. But Yastrzemski had like 
plus 30 defensive run saved or total zone and got like two and a half defensive war, even as a corner outfielder and Sheffield got like negative two and a half defensive war as a corner outfielder. It's like same offensive season, basically same position value. And then they are like one's Ryan Braun and the other, or one's Matt Kemp for this. And then the other is Mookie Betts or Roberto Clemente. Yeah, actually I'm amazed. I found that Matt Kemp here. He didn't win a gold glove. Thank God, but he had negative thirty-seven one year. Oh. I didn't even know that was possible. If I'm being I honest, I think Adam Dunn. I think Adam Dunn cracked. Negative actually, 30. Adam Dunn. Yeah, I think actually. Uh, yeah, and I, I know we're taking a little bit extra time here, but uh, trust me, this is worth it. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth it to talk about. Well, bad there is there is Dante Bichette the year he uh, well, the, MVP the year voting, he got right? second MVP voting with a one point two WAR. Um, but my favorite Dante Bichette year though is uh. I think it, oh yeah, 99 when he drove in 133 runs, uh, had a negative 2.3 war because he had negative 34 defensive runs saved, which my favorite stat though is he had 17 assists and 13 errors. Uh, so good job. You can throw guys out uh, and uh, you just drop a lot of fly balls. Sounds and, like uh, Fernando Tatis. Yeah, no, that that was that was the one. Yeah, and real quick, I'll add Adam Dunn. Yes, I know Adam Dunn had a year like that. But it was at first base. He had uh, uh, he had negative twenty in the outfield and negative twenty three uh, at first base that year. So congratulations, you were horrendously bad at two positions. But okay, I do have a question before we wrap up. How many negative defense front saves do you think you would have if you played right field for it? One hundred sixty-two games. Oh yes. my god! Uh, <laughs> I there's not there's not a number low enough to represent that because I am slow. Uh, I'm not particularly good at judging fly balls. Uh, so I don't know if there's a number low enough to, uh, demonstrate that. I have a good throwing arm though. See, see for me is I am, I am slow, but I am willing to put my body on the line to make these catches. I did. So actually a mini brief story time. I was doing a baseball tryout for an adult baseball league and they put me in the outfield for like a little bit of the tryouts. And the guy hitting the fly balls missed one, and it was short. And he goes, "Ah, just leave it." And I said, "No." And I ran for it and made a full blown diving catch and made it in front of everybody. And I'm like, "Let's go!" Uh, <laughs> Same day. I I definitely think I would be in the negative four figures. <laughs> I, I think I, that's what I would be at. Uh, I, I I'd probably I I'll give myself a little credit. I'll say negative three figures. Okay. I'll say you that. know. I have this conspiracy theory that during the 2020 playoffs, the Braves were paid to hit the ball at Mookie Betts and uh, Cody Bellinger. I think if you had someone as bad as me in right field or left, that could be your offense. Just sell out to hit it to my side of the field. Just line drives or pop up anything pop ups. I probably can't catch it. I probably can't catch it. Line drives. I'd be scared of getting drilled with the ball ground outs or, or ground balls. Uh, maybe the infield helps me out there. I will say I don't think I make any throwing errors because I won't be that aggressive trying to throw people out. <laughs> yeah, I will, uh, will make plenty of fielding errors. It, it, it's it's tough playing a major league outfield. I'll say that much. But anyways, that uh, that that is everything we are going to cover today. Obviously, big news. Winter meetings are happening right now, so I expect we have we'll have just as much news to talk about next week. Uh, so thank thank you, Alex, for that trivia segment. I completely failed. Uh, so Splash has a two games to none lead on me, and I I will study. I will study hard to not let that happen again. 
but make sure to follow all of us on Twitter. Follow Alex at the Sports Guy two four two. Follow Splash at Mister Splashman nineteen, and of course, follow myself at Matthias underscore a underscore k. But for everyone at Losses Above Replacement, thank you for tuning in and listening. Expect another episode next week. I hope to see you all real soon.